Psalm chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. To the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. And you hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your ways straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave, and they flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with a favor as with a shield. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, Westside. We are glad that you're here today as we are continuing in our series through the book of Psalms. And it's been fun. Uh, we always in the summer sort of just pause. Uh, we don't turn off, but we just pause and sort of dive in through the book of Psalms. We've covered the Psalms of Ascent in the past, and then we've looked at different categories. And this year we've just started with sort of Psalm chapter 1, and then just sort of methodically made our way through. And let me tell you, um, anytime we do that, that's kind of primarily what we do at Westside. We just sort of teach through books of the Bible. And when you do that you sort of get an understanding of what the book is. And then the longer that you're in it, you get to know the author. And then sort of seeing the Psalms, it's been interesting. And especially the past couple of weeks as we've looked at Psalm 3, 4, and 5. And at the beginning of this series, uh, we shared just sort of some quotes about the book of Psalms. But, but one of them came from the Puritans that says this. It says that the book of Psalms is the soul's medicine chest. Um, John Calvin, one of the reformers, said that there is not an emotion that a human being feels that is not named in the book of Psalms. And, and what they're communicating is, is every emotion and everything that we tend to feel or encounter in life, the book of Psalms gives us language for those emotions. And, and today in Psalm chapter 5, when you sort of heard that read to you, it's, it's a unique psalm. And it talks about, David's talking about his groaning and his crying. 
And then he even talks about these evil people and then even asks God like, hey, could you maybe wipe out those evil people? That would be good. And maybe could those evil people follow their own advice and their life end in destruction? And some of you are like, that's my life verse today. I have found my favorite verse, right? What, what is up with this language? Like, are we even supposed to be talking like that in church? And the answer is, is yes. Um, and it's in a particular category. And, 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 and the actual name of the category is the Psalms of Lament. Lament is the name of that. And, and there's actually an entire book of the Bible written by Jeremiah called Lamentations. And, and in this category of Psalms, they're highly emotional. And we, well, let's, let's just do this. What, what is lamenting? Well, the Psalms of Lament actually take up over one-third of the entire book of Psalms. So, so we love like um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. It makes me lie down. We like cross-stitched on every pillow ever, like all of that stuff, right? We love Psalm like 100, bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that's within me, bless his holy name. We love those categories, but actually the majority almost of the Psalms are the Psalms of Lament. And, and Psalms of Lament, lamenting is not simply being sad or complaining to God. Though, though it's no less than that, it's not just that. In the Psalms of Lament, we see anger, we see sadness, we see grief, we see all of these type of uh, emotions. Lamenting is what we do with our sadness, our grief, and our anger. It's, it's not just being sad or being angry, but it's actually what we do with those emotions. So, so let's use this as a working definition for lamenting. Biblical lamenting is the act of intentionally directing our emotions to God in order to experience the grace of God. That's what biblical lamenting is. It's intentional. It's the intentional act of directing our emotions to God. And, and not just to do that, not just to dump our emotions on God, though we can, but it's actually in order to then experience the healing and the grace of God. That's what biblical lamenting is. And listen, this is a category that, that quite frankly, Christians are sort of poor at understanding about. Um, just by a, maybe a show of hands, uh, raise your hand if, if you've never learned about in church or heard about lamenting or psalms of lament. Just sort of raise your hand if you've never heard about that before. Okay, maybe a lot of us have, a lot of us haven't. Um, I, I think we need some help in understanding what this is. And so um, for lamenting, I think we need to go to the modern day theologian known as Adele, Okay. Because I don't know where you thought we were going with this, okay? Um, Adele is one of the greatest selling uh, recording artists of all time. Actually, Adele's album 21 is the greatest selling album to come out of England in the history of England. It beat the Beatles, like, very well over. Um, the album 21 sold over 31 million copies. 
And her famous song, Hello, right? Hello, right? I mean, we'll do it right now, okay? Um, Has 2.8 billion views on YouTube, right? But there's a common theme all through Adele's song, if you know what I'm talking about, through all of her music. And what is it? Sadness, okay? Like, super sad. I mean, like, clinically really, really, really sad, right? Now, think about this. If Adele is selling all of these albums, like best-selling albums, billions of views, all of this song, all of this stuff, and the common thread through her songs is expressing this sort of sadness, then it tells me something. It tells me that there is a connection with human beings when it comes to that type of music. And actually in the Wall Street Journal, um, they wrote an article called Anatomy of a Tearjerker, where scientists and neurologists who study the brain actually looked at what is it about Adele's music that strikes such a chord with human beings. And so they did all of this research and they found that there's certain moments in her music where where they call literally the tearjerker note. And what it is is where all of the music is sort of building to this climax. And And it almost creates sort of like a low anxiety in you as you're hearing all of the music and all of the sadness and everything is sort of just coming. And then there's a moment of resolve and the tension eases. Right when you think the note can't carry on anymore and what's going to happen, it resolves. That's called the chill bump moment, if you will. And so many people, millions, tens of millions of people relate to this because singing expresses our emotions. But there is something about the connection to grief and to sadness and expressing that that strikes such a note with human beings. So after I read this article, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do my own experiment. So I did a social on, uh, on Facebook and said, sermon question, what is your favorite saddest song? Mine, he stopped loving her today. I mean, come on, guys. Did you know it took me years to realize he's dead? That's like the point of the song. He stopped loving, like, I know for you, it's not like a light bulb thing, right? <laughs> but when I realized that, I was like, he's, he'll never stop. He's dead. I just, I'll I'll never, it just changed my life. Okay, I'm just having a little Jesus moment here. But, and so I, 123 comments, people just commented and commented, hey, it's this song, it's this song, it's this song. And then I found myself going on YouTube and then listening to the songs. And then I found myself mad depressed, okay? So I do not, like seriously, I was like, I have to go for a walk. I have to get outside because somebody would comment. And I was like, I've never heard that song. And I would get on YouTube and like, we play, oh my goodness. And just all day I did that, all right? So I do not recommend going to the, and like listening to all these songs, right? But what is it about this? Um, I think there's something when it comes to these songs, I promise you I'm going somewhere with this, okay? When it comes to lamenting and, and then when it comes to these sad songs and, and how we relate and connect to them so much, what I realize when I look at Psalm 5 or the Psalms of Lament is um, there is brutal honesty, brutal honesty in the Psalms. 
And then when I would listen to those sad songs that people posted, I realized again, there's brutal honesty in those songs. And there's something about it. Just follow me with this. There is something about when we listen to those songs and the honesty in them, it expresses and says something, almost something that we ourselves want to say. Maybe we don't have the words for it. Maybe we're not brave. Maybe we feel like we can't communicate that. But when we listen to that, that honesty is what draws us to it. And, and, and this is a point of reference for us that we learn one of the signs and marks of spiritual maturity that we see is honesty. We learn that in the book of Psalms. I mean, think about this. David. David was called a man after God's own heart. Now, if you know the story of David, that's provocative to say. But think about this. At David's funeral, I mean, the eulogy, somebody stood up and was like, uh, you know, God actually said this about David, that um, he was a man after God's own heart. But we see that David is one of the godliest men in Scripture, not because of his own doing, but because of the grace of God, and was brutally honest. I mean, he's asking for his enemies to fall. He's saying that he's weeping, that he's crying. So we see that a mark of spiritual maturity is honesty in our emotions. And do you know what I've found? I've found that there is a great lie that has crept into the church of Jesus Christ. That, that somehow through the years, the mark of spiritual maturity for a Christian is either like how nice they are or, or how much Bible they know. If somebody shows up, you know, to, to small group and they've got, you know, a King James Schofield study Bible, buddy, they might as well lead the Bible study, man. I mean, they have got like, like there's these signs somehow that we've created as an external sign that, wow, that person, that person really walks with Jesus. And, and the lie that has crept into the church of Jesus Christ is this, that you can be spiritually mature and emotionally immature at the same time. And listen, that is a lie from the pit of hell. That is not true. Think about this. The, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are emotions. And so what we see in the Psalms is this mixture of brutal honesty, but yet spiritual maturity. And listen, this is how broken we are as human beings. This is how powerful sin is is that we even use the Bible and spiritual truths to hide behind. We even use, listen, don't miss this, please. This is a majority of the sermon. We use our Christian faith as a prop and as a mask in order to avoid what's really going on in our own soul and in our own mind. And listen, the longer you're in sort of church and the community, you learn the lingo. How are you doing? You know, I'm hanging in there, but, but, God's good. And then you pause because they're supposed to say back to you all the time. And then you're supposed to say all the time God is good. And then you, and then you don't know when it's supposed to end. And so you're like, oh, all the time, right? And so we have these cliches and we do all of this stuff. And what we do is we've learned the language 
We've learned what we're supposed to say to be a little bit honest. An in-community group will open up a little bit, but there's actually a term for this. Um, Clinical psychologists have a term, and it's called spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypassing. What is spiritual bypassing? Well, here's the working definition for spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypassing is using biblical concepts, platitudes, or activities to bypass or avoid dealing with your true feelings or your true emotions. Um, One Christian counselor by the name of Allison Cook that I would highly recommend, follow her on Instagram, Facebook, all of that stuff. She has this chart, which is extremely helpful, okay? Emotional health says this, man, a part of me today feels sad. I don't know, but I'm, I'm curious about what that is. That's emotional health. Spiritual bypassing says this, um, you don't need to be sad. God is giving you so much. Okay, right? Or how about this? I feel angry at him. I don't want to act out of anger, but I do want to understand where it's coming from and resolve that. That's emotional health. Spiritual bypassing is, well, just ask God to take away your anger. Just ask God to take it away. Or how about this? I want to forgive, but my heart is far from forgiving. I'm going to talk to someone honestly about this struggle, and I'm going to tell someone I know that I'm commanded to forgive, but I don't feel like forgiving. I mean, my goodness, how many of us have ever felt that sentence before? Oh, you've never felt that? Oh, you guys holier than me in here? Okay, all right. Um, This is bypassing. God forgave you, so you should forgive others. Just turn the other cheek. Do you see what you're doing? You're you're giving right answers. These are true. But what you're doing is you're using them to bypass, listen, the hard work of spiritual and emotional maturity. And please listen to me. The people that I see who have been walking with Jesus for decades, for decades, know what it is to be emotionally healthy. They are honest, all-around people who have character deep down inside. So why is this so important? Why is this such a big deal? Why are we spending time on this? Please listen, this is a big deal for me, okay? I've been learning about this for about two years. Um, When I got the privilege to go on my sabbatical and I got to get six weeks off. Um, I, I saw a counselor. I'm still trying to, to walk with Jesus and see what it is to be an emotionally healthy individual. And, and can I say something here? The church has done a very poor job of talking about emotional health, mental health, and all of those things. Because it makes us uncomfortable. We don't know what to do about it. So we say things like, well, starve your fear and feed your faith. And then somebody's over here just dying inside. But one of the things that I felt like God has revealed, and listen, I'm, I am working on this, and I'm doing, quite frankly, a poor job, but pray for me, okay? But one of the things I realized is this, is that whatever is hidden will never be healed. It just won't. It just won't. Whatever is hidden will never be healed. And we see this 
all through the scriptures. And, and quite frankly, for somebody who walks in deep insecurities like myself, who, who, who just really, quite frankly, in an unhealthy way, depends upon what other people think about me, this sentence is terrifying. It's terrifying. You know why? Because I equate honesty with weakness or badness. I think this in my mind. If I'm truly honest with them, then they will not love me. They won't be impressed with me, and they won't want a relationship with me. But when I read the scriptures, what I see is God calling people into that honest place. Think about this. Do you remember that scene when Jesus is healing the man who has the withered hand? What does Jesus ask him to do? It's on the Sabbath. There's all this controversy. And then there's this scene. Then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored and healthy and like the other. Why did Jesus do that? I mean, like Jesus, I mean, Jesus could have healed the man if he was at home sitting in his lazy boy. I mean, like Jesus didn't need the man to stretch out his hand. Why did he do that? To expose it. Well, well, again, just keep asking questions. This is what makes you a good Bible student. Just continue to ask questions and continue to ask questions. Why did he need to expose it? Do you think that he was probably self-conscious about it? I bet. I bet his whole life was marked by hiding that hand, by, 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 by compensating for that. And Jesus says, I want you to expose the very thing that you are afraid to expose. Why? Because it's a sign of trust. Could this man trust Jesus with his most vulnerable, deepest wound that he has? Could he be honest with Jesus and expose it like that. Listen, that's what we see in the Psalms of lament. That's what lamenting does. Listen, my goal today, I'm going to do something a little bit different with the text. We're not going to go sort of word by word and line by line. I want to take some two general concepts that I see, and I want us to see how it can help us. But first, I want you to listen to this quote about lamenting helping us cut through the spiritual bypassing. Cutting through spiritual bypassing means turning toward the painful, disfigured, ostracized, unwanted, or otherwise disowned aspects of ourselves and cultivating as much intimacy as possible with them. You see, to do this, we inevitably will have to deal with our numbness, approaching with, with as much care as we can, ceasing to numb ourselves to our numbness. If doing so seems to even break our heart, we are on the right path, even if we are on our hands and knees. Please don't miss this. For when our heart breaks, it doesn't shatter. It breaks open, expanding to include more and more of God. 
You see, so many of us are walking with Jesus and we are trying so hard for Jesus not to have complete access to the depths of our heart, of our mind, and of our soul. And please look up here. Don't miss this. That is exhausting. And some of you feel that today. You feel the tension of like, okay, I'm coming to church and I'm here today, but deep down inside, I know I'm not being honest when it comes to my marriage or this or that, and I know, and so, but I've still got to do this and I've got, and it's exhausting. And in reality, God does want to break our heart, but he wants to do it in such a grace-filled way that now he has access and more room. And listen, I think Psalm chapter 5 can help us in that. And so listen, if, if you would just trust me today and just lean in a little bit and maybe just consider, I know I'm asking you to do a lot and I know for some of you, this is like, this is it. Quite frankly, for some of you, this is the thing that's going on in your life. This is the glass ceiling. You, you, you've tried to go around it. You've tried to implement other things. You've bought every devotional that comes out every single year. I mean, every Bible, everything, and you're like, I'm hoping that this, and the reality is, is what Jesus is asking is for you to stretch out your hand. So how can we do that? I think Psalm 5 is going to help us, but let's look at Psalm 5 in its context. Um, number one, Psalm 5 is a morning psalm. Now remember, the last psalm was an evening psalm. So when you think about it, Psalms 3, 4, and 5 were probably written when David is running away from his son Absalom. And we talked about this. This is family conflict. His son is literally out to kill his father, essentially. So I don't know what you thought was going on in your life, but that's a bad deal. That's a Jerry Springer episode, okay, right? But Psalm 3 is an evening, or I'm sorry, Psalm 3 is a morning psalm. Psalm 4 is an evening psalm. And Psalm 5 is a morning psalm. So listen to this. You could literally have a prayer for the morning, a prayer for the evening, and a prayer for the morning. And David is the author. But, but how do we know again that this is a psalm of lament? What's interesting is we see that little section. Do you see that there? It says that it's written for the flutes. You're like, what in the world? What does that mean, right? Well, listen, the psalms are songs and prayers that were written for the corporate gathering. And so just we saw last week, it was written for the choir master. And we talked about the implications of what that is. But here's what's cool. How do we know that this is a psalm that was read for grieving or mourning or lamenting? Well, if you do a word study, if you just go Bible Gateway and type in the word flute, or flutes, which is like really fun to do, right? I'm just studying the Bible. I'm looking up flutes, okay? There will be a passage that will come to mind, and it's Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus approaches the house and somebody's dead inside. And it says, and when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. You see, back then in ancient times when death or grieving was happening, it was a big deal. And they processed this. And so Psalm 5 tells us by all of these clues that this is a psalm to help us be honest with God. So here's the guiding question. How can we do this? How can we learn to lament? 
How can we stretch out our hand? Well, listen, two words, just two words today, okay? The first one is this, connection. Go to God in prayer. Connection, go to God in prayer. And listen, just three quick categories. How do we go to God in prayer? The first one is this, in spoken words. In spoken words. Look at what David says, verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning, my words. That tells me something. That tells me that David is praying out loud. That he's praying out loud to God. Now, for some of us, listen, some of us grew up with different backgrounds, okay? So some of us maybe grew up with sort of a charismatic, Pentecostal background, and this is like the only way that you know to pray. Like you're praying out loud, like you're loud, like I love my Pentecostal friends. Anytime anything's going on in my life, I call those guys to pray for me. Because, man, when you're on the phone with them and you're like, man, I've got this going on in my life, would you pray for me? Every time, inevitably, they're always like, let's pray right now, man. And they just go to the Lord in prayer, and it's incredible, right? Now, some of us, some of us grew up with, you know, dockers, and our shirt was ironed a little too good, okay, right? So praying out loud is kind of like, whoa, where are we going today, Pastor, all right? Where are we going today? It's going to be a stretch for you. But what we see with David is there's something about, listen, being alone with God and speaking your words out loud to him. So listen, we go to God in prayer through the words that we speak, but it's not just in spoken words. Look at this. It's also in broken words. Do you see the phrases there? Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Verse 2. Give attention to the sound of of my cry. Hey, hey, can we be honest in church? Because that's kind of the point of the entire sermon. Okay, so listen. Have you ever been under such weight? Listen, I'm talking a burden. I'm talking like you don't know if your dad or your mom or you're praying for your prodigal child that you don't know that if they would die that they would go to. I'm talking a weight that you don't even know what to say, that you don't even know what to pray. Like you sit down and you fall to your knees and all you do is just cry. You just simply cry. Do you know why this is so beautiful and such good news? It's because sometimes the most powerful prayers don't even involve words. They don't even involve words. I love what it says in Romans chapter 8. Listen to this good news. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, for the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Please listen, this is good news. Some of you are in a season of life where the weight is so heavy that you don't even know what to pray to God. But I'm here to tell you that the very Spirit of God that is living inside of you is interceding upon your behalf. And sometimes the or the cry is enough to get God's attention. It's about connection. That's how we go to God. It's in spoken words. It's in broken words. And then there's this third point that I want to spend some time on. In the morning. Now, some of you, 
Some of you that are the sleeping in kind, okay? You're like, man, this sermon just got real bad real fast, okay? Well, listen, I want to just hold on for a second. I don't want to be legalistic about this today, okay? I don't want to be all like, you should be up at 5 a.m. and have your journal and your prayer time, and you should have walked through and done. But, but listen, we can't avoid it because David says it twice, Look at what he says in verse 2. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray, verse 3, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Twice David says something about connecting with God in the morning. Now, he says prepare a sacrifice. We can see in Exodus chapter 29 is your cross-reference that the priest in the morning would prepare a sacrifice in the temple. And it says in Exodus 29, God says, prepare the sacrifice in the morning. Here it is. For when I speak to you. For when I speak to you. And did you know something else? We actually get a glimpse in Jesus' life as to when Jesus connects with his Father. Man, it would be good to know what Jesus' like, spiritual disciplines were like and what his routine was like. I'm so glad that you asked because we actually see it right there in the book of Matthew. And it says this, I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 1. And rising very early in the morning. Some of you are like, oh, that's like nails on a chalkboard, man. While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place And there he prayed. Listen, I love this quote from Spurgeon. This is the fittest time for connection with God. An hour in the morning is worth two in the evening. While the dew is on the grass, let grace drop upon the soul. Let us give God the mornings of our days and the mornings of our lives. Prayer should be the key to the day and the lock of the night. Now listen, I'm, I don't want to be legalistic about this because here's why. For some of you, as I'm saying this, you have small kids and they're up at like 4.30. And you're like, so in order to have a quiet time, I would have to get up at like, and then there's no way. Like if I got up that early, I would act like I was unsaved by 10 a.m., okay? People would question my salvation. Like that would not help me at all. Well, listen, here's, here's what I'm trying to say, and I think the principle behind this. The principle is the principle of first fruits. And what I mean by that is this. Are you making it a priority? Is it the first thing that you do with your day or with your time? Because how many of us fall into the trap that the first thing that we do is we reach for that phone or we reach for that controller to turn on Fox News or CNN to see what we can get angry about today. What are the liberals talking about today? What are those conservatives talking about? Critical race theory. Ooh, right? And all, you're fired up. Now you're fired up today. You get in the car, then you turn on the news, and you're like, oh, I was mad at the house. I'm madder now in the car, buddy, because they're, they're stealing all my, right? And the next thing we know, we, we haven't connected, we've disconnected. 
Listen, here, here's the sentence. Um, talk to God and let God talk to you before you talk to yourself. Because please listen to me. Nobody lies to you more than you lie to yourself. The point is to preach the gospel to yourself. Is to talk to God and to have God talk to you long before you ever talk to yourself. Because the moment that you start talking to yourself, down the rabbit hole you go. And then it's, well, I don't know if I can do this today or, you know, I was going to have that conversation. I was going to call and I, but, you know, I just, tomorrow, tomorrow, or or maybe after lunch, I'll see how the day goes. And then, listen, is it a priority? That's all I'm simply asking is the connection, the intimacy. Um, The second word that I see is this, is position. Connection, go to God in prayer, and then position, Place yourself to be in God's presence. Now, I know what some of you Bible thumpers are saying. To be in God's presence? Well, Pastor Jason, I learned that God is omnipresent. And omnipresent means that God is everywhere at all times. So whether I'm in the deer woods hunting or in my car on the way to work, I turn on 90.3 and there I am with God. Because God is great, awesome, love all of that, and man, you're a Bible thumper. I love it, okay? That's great. But look at what David says in verse 7. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Ah, see, listen, Bible thumper, look up here. There is such a thing as the omnipresence of God, but there is also something known as the manifest presence of God. Where, listen, yes, God is present everywhere because he's the creator of all things. But there are times where God shows up and shows out in such a way that is different than when his presence was not there. And have you ever experienced and been in the tangible presence of God? I mean, have you ever experienced that time where it was palatable in the air and you got taken to the mat about the presence of God? We get hints of it all the time. I mean, just recently, my family and I were on vacation and, and we were at the ocean and it was there at the Gulf of Mexico. And, and, and you just look out and it's forever. And then the waves and the waves just never stop. Or, or maybe you're at the base of a mountain. Or maybe it's a sunset. Or maybe last night. Did you watch the lightning show last night? That was incredible, wasn't it? I mean, it was nuts. And we were having conversation with our kids. And, and my kids were like, did God make the lightning? I was like, yes, absolutely. Like, hope it doesn't strike our house. But anyway, right? And, and, and then we said this. I said, um, Psalm 19.1 says... For the skies above reveal his handiwork. For the heavens declare the glory of God. What does that mean? Please listen. When you're at the base of that mountain or you're looking out at the ocean or you see that lightning storm or you hold that newborn baby, what do you feel? You feel small in those moments. Nobody in those moments standing at the base of a mountain or looking at a newborn baby goes, you know what? I'm pretty awesome, man. 
You know what? If only everybody from high school could just see me now, right? Uncle Rico, okay? Nobody ever does that. Why? Because you feel small in those moments. What David is saying, please don't miss this, is in the gathering, in the gathering with God's people, um, indwelt by God's spirit, under God's word, seeing the sacrifices, that there is something about the gathering that makes you feel small. And oh my, how much have we turned this into a consumeristic thing where we actually think the opposite? We think it's about us. And our preferences. And well, why today? And I just didn't. And you know, sometimes I just don't really like. And just all of this. And, and what David is saying is, no, no, no. In these moments, you detach from self and you become aware of God. Did you know that there's something about the gathering that even, even scientists, please listen, try to explain what this is and why people are drawn and that things happen when the church is gathered that is quite frankly unique. And actually a Harvard professor um, tried to explain this. There's a USA Today article that released a number of years ago that says this, religion may be a miracle drug. Church attendance is correlated with longer life and a sense of meaning. Listen, the article starts like this. If one could conceive of a single elixir to improve the physical and mental health of millions of Americans at no personal cost, what value would our society place on it? Well, actually, a Harvard professor of epidemiology named Tyler Vanderlee with more than 20 years of study in evidence, concludes, please listen, concludes that people who regularly attend the gathering have all of these type of benefits. But this is how the article ends. I love, I love when science tries to like explain God. I think it's the best, okay? I'm actually one of those people that I don't think that science and the Bible are at war with each other and it's this, ooh, and you gotta watch out, but I love this. Please listen to this. The combination of the teachings, the relationship, and the spiritual practices over time, week after week, taken together, gradually alters behavior, creates meaning, alleviates loneliness and shapes a person in ways too numerous for us to document in our study. Something about the communal religious experience and participation matters. So, listen, this is a Harvard professor. Something powerful appears to take place there and enhances health. And it is something quite different from just regular everyday activities. I love it. Isn't that incredible? And David, 2,000 plus years, long before that article was ever written, is saying, in a moment in my life when I'm under emotional turmoil, please let me get to your house 
Because what's happening there, he's seeing the sacrifices, the atonement for sin. He sees the curtain with the cherubim woven in, with the sword that represents nobody can go in there because the presence of God dwells in there. And if that curtain splits open, we would all die because God's presence is so holy that it would wipe us all out. What's David trying to say? He's saying this, God's presence changes our perspective. That's the point of the gathering. That's the point. All week long when that thing, that conversation, that conflict, that was ripping your life apart when you get into the gathering and you start to sing those songs and you hear the word of God read and then you get your hands on the elements of communion and the body broken and the blood shed. All of a sudden that thing that was at the top of your priority list starts to fall and you realize what is really important? What is really important? And how much for us? You see, they had that curtain in the temple. It was purplish. And it had the cherubim on it with a sword. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from Genesis chapter 3. Whenever God banished Adam and Eve out of the garden because of their sin, he placed the ninja angel. Remember the ninja angel that had the sword? He placed it at the gate of Eden, representing that you can't get into the access of the presence of God now. But it also tells me this. If anyone were trying to gain access, they would have to go under the sword. Interesting, when Jesus is dying upon the cross and he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. He breathes his last and a Roman soldier gets a spear and jabs it into Jesus' side and his heart sack breaks and blood and water pours out. Matthew records in Matthew chapter 26 that there was an earthquake took place and the temple curtain tore from top to bottom, symbolizing that man does not make his way to God from bottom to top, but God makes his way to man from top to bottom. And now that presence that not just anybody could have access to, we now have access to because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's about the position. So listen, these are just the questions that I have for you today in closing. When it comes to being honest with what's going on in our life, but at the same time walking with Jesus, the first question is this. Are you trying to go around what God is leading you through? Listen, this is what I do in my life. I try to do everything else I can. And I know deep down in my heart and in my mind that God is wanting this area in my life. But I'm, I'm busy. I'm trying to do all of this. And you would think after all these years that my sinfulness and my stubbornness would have worn down. But I can tell you this. It is always so scary right from the beginning I don't even know if I should share this, but I just maybe feel led to. For the past couple of years, I would have a dream that would reoccur every once in a while. I haven't shared this publicly. Um, and please, I'm not the, ooh, guy, it's not me. I think you know me. I'm, I'm a Bible guy. I'm a chapter and verse guy. Um, 
But the dream would always be that, that I would be at the edge of a forest or a wilderness and it would be dark. Um, and I could hear things in there. And, and I would turn to my side and, and Jesus would be, I could never see his face, but I always saw his hand. And, and Jesus would say, we have to go in. And I would always wake up. And, and it, was, it was heavy. It was whatever was in that forest was so fearful to me. Um, and I got to go on a, on a retreat of silence and solitude outside Corpus Christi, Texas. It was in the desert at Leb Shema, the house of prayer. It was a Catholic monastery is what it was. And, and the priest was giving us a tour and we were there to learn about prayer, not from the Catholic priest, but from another Protestant minister. And long story short, he's giving us a tour. And I, and, I, and I asked a question. I said, does this ever get old? Because it was so beautiful. The house, the desert, everything it was incredible. It was incredible. And, and I guess he thought, I said, does it ever get cold? And he goes, well, you know, it is the desert. And in the desert, in the scriptures, it's known as the wilderness. And when he said that, I was like, did this dude just say wilderness? Because I've got kind of a connection here. And he goes, yeah, you need to read the early church fathers, um, especially St. Anthony. St. Anthony. And so he's giving a tour to the rest of the house of everybody else. And so I slipped out from the tour and I went up to the library and I found the section for the early church fathers and found St. Anthony de Great and he did all this stuff and he lived a life of purity and all of this. And then I found the painting. And there's a painting of St. Anthony the Great and it's called The Temptation in the Wilderness. And St. Anthony is there and he has angels behind him and he is fighting the beasts at the edge of a wilderness. And in that painting is what I saw in my dreams. And I believe in that moment is when God dropped that message into my mailbox that what my wilderness is, is to be fully vulnerable and fully honest. And I get so fearful that they'll think less. They won't love me. And what does it look like to grab Jesus' hand and to walk in that wilderness of vulnerability? I've tried so long in my life to go around it. And maybe I'm learning now to what it is to go through it. What is it for you? Secondly, how are you regularly positioning yourself to be in God's presence? What does that look like through Bible reading, but especially through the corporate gathering? In just a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to come through and partake in communion. And if you're a baptized follower of Jesus Christ, you can grab those elements and go back to your seat and then wait as we partake in communion together. But as we do, what does it look like to reflect on these questions? To be fully honest today and learn to lament. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today so grateful for your word. Grateful that we can be honest grateful that we can reach out and trust you. Holy Spirit, have your way with us in this place today. May strongholds be shattered and broken. May you show us that whatever is hidden will never be healed 
And may we learn to lament with David today. May we be fully honest in this place. Have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Westside, would you stand to your